Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others are looking to enrich their children's Jewish knowledge. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school age children receive online lessons each week through the Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Navi play and study Chumash Breshit and Navi Shoftim, or in the Mishnah and Gemara play, where we're learning Mishnah Rosh Hashanah and Gemara Arvei Psachim, or both. Now is a great time to register your child for Kita for the coming school year. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's Kita. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Harabadi Malibravsky. What's so funny, Harabadi Malibravsky? <laughs> this is audio. You have to respond. <laughs> okay. We should explain She's this the first time we're recording on video. Which is a great. We're oh, trying to record a video, which is a great start. If you're actually watching this video, you're wondering yeah. what's so funny. Molly will tell you. Just send her a private message. Hello, Rabbi Molly Brasky. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Ah, oh, good to talk to you. And Harav Johnny Solomon. How are you, Rav Johnny Solomon? I'm very, very well. Thank First you. of all, I want to tell everyone we we actually had the wonderful opportunity to actually see each other in person, which I'm not sure. In have person? we ever done that? Have we ever seen each other since we started the podcast? All in, three of in us together. Room? Not not exactly at the same time. No, I don't think so. Right. So I'm going to be gloomy unless you be unless you were at my mother's levaya. I remember Johnny was there. I think I was. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> didn't do us. Let's assume that I was. Let's assume we that I was. Did not take a selfie at the time. Uh, okay. That's correct. Uh, but uh, Sorry. okay, the second second time you were in a room together. Anywho, uh, we were there to celebrate the da- the bat mitzvah of Harav Johnny's twin daughters, which was both lovely. And unbelievably meaningful because it also represented marking the return to health of your wife, which is wonderful. So, mazal tov to you. And I did not know that Donna was such a cut up. Oh, my God. She was hilarious. She should should now, you tell her, she should now start a second career in stand-up comedy. She was really that good. She had us all going. (laughs) We should have her as a a guest. I'll let her know. Okay. Um, uh, Today, we're going to do something different as opposed to very serious topics that we always tackle. We're going to do something a little lighter. We're going to call this our Summer Culture Edition, in which each of us are going to share some piece of culture that we're looking forward to and we want to share with our listeners and now our viewers, if you're watching us on the Facebook, uh, and hopefully share some thoughts and interact with each other and share some thoughts about, about what items of culture we're looking forward to in the coming months. So I guess, Molly, we'll start with you. We'll go one at a time, sharing our summer culture. Why don't we go one at a time? Give us one that you're, you're looking forward to as, the summer, as, as you enter the summer months. Okay, so I basically, what I did was I thought of three examples. I thought what we were doing is recommending Torah Umada-like cultural 
um, experiences. Well, Books, I, movies. I got a broad Toromata. Now, I expect Johnny, like I'm just predicting, Johnny's going to be like, Chuvot Maharik. You know, the thoughts of <laughs> right. Rabbi Sachs and Rabbi Cook in in-depth, uh, you know, analysis, some book that came out. Halavai. And maybe the, like... It was a busy weekend. Are you kidding me? Well, okay, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying <laughs> from Johnny. I, I, don't, I, I know I'm, I'm going low culture, but go ahead, Molly. Okay, so, so mine are... Are, are you going well, I, you want to give all three at once? Well, I can go one by one, but I just want to say what I chose are not necessarily the three best books ever or the three best movies ever, but three books that were made into three movies, both of which are excellent, and that... Both the book and the movie is, um, I think, a good example of healthy Toro Mada. So I can go one by one. Yes, yeah, or right. I just can... do one. Let's do. I think we should go fine. one by one. Do you want me to do? Fine. Uh, whatever you want. I'm go. Which one should I do? I'll do? Hmm. Don't know which one to do first. Okay, okay. I'll go with Emma. Emma okay. by Jane Austen. Okay. Um, what kind of face was that? Now people can see the faces. That's true. Um, <laughs> I made a face too. Have you guys read Emma? Go ahead. It's an incredible novel. It's a wonderful, wonderful novel. Um, Jane Austen said it's about a heroine that she said nobody would like very much except for me. Um, Jane Austen herself, because the, the, she's a very self-absorbed young woman in the beginning of the novel. Novel, and as it goes on, she grows. Um, and it's about, you know, it's about that essentially, but it's, oh, it's about class and it gives a beautiful window into, um, Regency period England and, and life in a small village and it has a lot of strong ethical and moral messages. So the book is amazing, but the movie is also amazing. The 1996 version with Gwyneth Paltrow is a amazing, fun, funny, light, perfect adaptation. So if so, I I just think those are it's just fun. It's fun to watch. Wait, wait, how is this Tarumada? I just want to understand. You why? Because I think both the book and the movie are um, valuable cultural experiences with important messages to send. And what I love about it is that again, often we can't understand Jane Austen when we try to read her in our day because people can't like follow the sentences; they're just too long. Which is why a good visual adaptation is extremely helpful when it comes to to the, those types of novels, especially Jane Austen. And this one is just wonderful. Like, it's perfectly cast, except for one character. Harriet Smith is terribly cast. Toni Collette is a very good actress. She's terribly cast as as Harriet. But besides that one mistake of casting, the casting is perfect. Um, the, the, um, the actors embody the characters beautifully. So you have an incredibly enjoyable cinematic experience while also getting the messages. And they're, again, they're beautiful messages. Like, one of the messages is like, being kind is the most important thing like be kind to people be sensitive be kind especially to people who um you don't have to be you know like that old that famous line like see if you want to see how somebody is see how he treats people that are you know that he doesn't have to treat nicely what is he how does he treat the cab driver how does he treat um the serving staff etc that's i would say the most important message of the movie um it's not the only message and it's probably not what jane austen I don't know if she would say that's the most important message, but I'm thinking Torah Mada and I'm thinking values. So that's like an example, but it's all honoring one's father. That's very strong in there. There's a lot. There's a lot. Hysterical. Don't be a pompous, hysterical lady. Um, that's for Mrs. Elton. Um, I'm, I'm just saying this is a great movie and it's a wonderful book. So if you want the depth of the book that a movie can't reach, read the, read the novel. If you want an enjoyable film experience, watch the movie and it's very hard to cast emma as i said before because she's a completely self-absorbed indulged 
young woman um, to make her charming and likable as she keeps making mistakes and theoretically ruining people's lives is extremely diff difficult. And Gwyneth Paltrow, whatever we think about her life outside um, her movie roles, is a perfect choice. So uh, that's my let first me just, recommendation. Uh, just to understand, I always, I never remember which Jane Austen book is about what. Is okay. this the is this the one about the 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 daughter that comes back to her, her like the woman who marries into her, like her husband's family and then the husband dies and now she has to get along with all the other with the brothers? No, that that That's I just remember. Not a Jane Austen book at all. <laughs> is that it? There is a Jane Austen book like that. There I, is no. What are you talking about? Are you, are you maybe you're you're, you're t what book are you talking about? Just I don't know. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, maybe I always Nashville I always Park? used Jane Austen to explain to people why we have a ketubah. Because the brothers were trying to get her out of, off of the estate. Maybe the beginning of Sense and Sensibility. Oh, then, Sense and um, Sensibility. See, some Jane Austen thing. Okay. Yes, but that's not what it's about what you said. But um, that's okay. Everybody but no, gets it's what not they Sense get and sensibility. out of literature. What can I it's tell you? The, yes, but that, what you just described is the first three pages of the book. Then the whole book is about something totally different. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Johnny, okay. Well, let's go to your first cultural... Uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm not a man of culture. <laughs> Are we really sticking to this Taramada? We're just talking about. No, not, not for me. No, no, I'm doing Taramada. I guess that's how. Let's rephrase. I think that I'm term doing is very Taramada. debatable. Oh, you mentioned Jane Austen. Emma, so I'm not sure that falls under Taramada. I'm making a very strong argument that it absolutely does. It's not even a question uh, in my mind. We could discuss that. But anyway, right, Johnny, sorry. go ahead. So you know what? I, I have a few things on my list. I didn't really have time to formulate ideas as, like, as much as I'd like. So I'm going to start with something so mundane that hopefully Ruby will look really sophisticated compared to me and bring you a bit closer. So towards the end of the summer, I believe Equalizer 3 is coming out. The movie... Denzel Washington. We've had Equalizer 1. See, Marty's face is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and I, about? Know, I usually know all the movies. Um, are I'm, you kidding me? Yeah, remember that this is Torum. <laughs> I've never heard of Equalizer 1 or 2, which is shocking. Are you kidding? Never heard of it. So and I usually know these I'm just Griffin. shocked that Johnny, like, I'm, I'm literally in shock that Johnny watches a movie called The Equalizer. Equalizer 2 was good, but Equalizer 3, the final movie in the series, is coming out. Set in Italy, a place up. where Denzel Washington himself uh, goes to vacations. It's apparently a great story, uh, and, you know, very artistically describing violence um, with the mafia. So, cool. Um, it's like, we'll like a Godfather type movie. Well, I, th I think it's it's less sophisticated than The Godfather. That would be another recommendation. I, I didn't read that. I'm, a good Godfather book, excellent movie. And the kind of violence of uh, other things. Now, I don't, of course, endorse violent movies, but there is a, there is a certain style w of this series, which Ooh. is in many ways almost old school, where you have this pr protagonist um, who is just looking for an easy life, but has a certain... Uh, capability to look out for those in trouble and unfortunately finds himself in situations where he needs to put those into practice and so i think that's coming out at the end of the summer and i'll see it when i see it okay i'm speechless i'm gonna go low culture for my first <laughs> i did that i are you kidding me i've helped you wherever you are it's gonna be up. oh my goodness across the spectrum okay terramata molly this is for you <laughs> i recommend that people watch on Disney Plus, The Mandalorian Season 3. Now... Oh, sorry. Have you seen it, Molly? I have. I saw season... I saw season 3, the last season. Yeah, that's the stupidest season on Earth. Wait one sorry. second. Mandalorian Season 3 
is about his chazara b'tshuva. He violate he he violated his religious belief, what we call halacha. This is what do we call it? This is the, the way. way, right? And he wants to be chazara b'tshuva. He really wants to be chazara b'tshuva. And he, what's fascinating to me about this series is the Mandalorian is a sympathetic figure. Normally, what Hollywood does is it mocks people who want to follow their tradition and disrespects them and ultimately convinces us that their tradition is stupid and it doesn't make any sense and he should change his ways in order to come, come back to the rest of the world. What's fascinating about this is, first of all, he's the dos. He's really, he's like the chassid, mm -hmm. right? And then he meets this other woman who's sort of like modern Orthodox who took off her helmet, you know, but she's still... Yeah, but I'm objecting. I don't like when we make people who keep halacha the more yeshivish ones and the people who don't. The Fair objective, does. okay. He finds this other woman who says to, she follows the way, but his way is not, no, I think mine orthodox because she's you trying call to. call him cons conservative. Trying to, I'm not, not really trying to criticize is, conservative, but she wants to change the fundamental rules. No, I don't think so. She's trying to. No, you're right. She is halachic because at the end, the rabbi She doesn't abandon the way, her, but she says, the, the, he says that she he's a fanatic. She claims Correct. that he's a fanatic, that Correct. he's a fanatic sect. I take back what I said. Okay. And then what's really interesting is that she also, when she's like welcomed into his cat, whatever you want to call it, into his sect, and she finds it like she also wants to be Chosea B'tshuva until the Rebbe, the lady who's like the Rebbe, tells her, no, you have to find your way. You have to do your way. So I found it like, uh, you know, one could argue about whether, whether um, who's the guy who's the, who's the villain, you know, the guy who's... Uh, you know, he was Lost the villain Gideon. in Breaking Bad, and then now he's the villain in Star Wars. He wasn't a good villain. I didn't like him very much, but it doesn't matter. One could argue about that. One could argue about the special effects. But the ultimate story about trying to find your way and adhering to your Masora was very firm of Disney. I found it very uplifting, and I actually really connected to it. I thought it was really interesting, their take on, uh, on trying to adhere to tradition, trying to be a part of your trying to be a part of your Masora. And in the end, the Navua that was always told turned out to have been true. Mm -hmm. You know, the Navua about whatever, the monster, it doesn't matter. But yeah. just the, the themes behind it were very Torah Umada. I found it uh, like very entertaining personally, even though Molly hated it. And no, I, I didn't actually. You've just, you've, you've just changed my mind. I think oh. you're t the part that I liked, the, the, the one thread that I liked is what you're talking about, and I 100% agree with you. And this his is name is Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, but he was, what was he in? He was in Breaking Bad, though. He was, yes. He was Carlos Gus Fring. Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. Never seen He was unbelievable. Oh, you've never seen Breaking Bad? No. Holy. That's too violent for Okay. Me. Go, don't go down that rabbit hole. Unbelievable. Yeah, he was unbelievable as Gus Fring. Star Wars villain? Uh, didn't do it yeah. for me. Nonetheless, mm -hmm. Mandalorian Season 3, this is the way. Okay, Thank Molly, you. you're, up, you're up next. Okay, you have convinced me. I, I actually agree with you. I just didn't like I, a, lot of, a lot of other things about the Mandalorian Season 3. Oh, what three, did you but, like? Season I didn't three. like. I didn't. I don't like their the whole new the whole Disney Star Wars vision of the New Republic. I don't like. I don't like what they did with Luke Skywalker's character. Um, I don't like that they that didn't. Was season two. Season three is an entirely thing. No, I loved what they did with his character in the last episode of season two. I didn't like what they did in the Book of Boba Fett, which is how they explained why Baby Yoda Grogu is back with Mando. Um, uh, you just have kind to sort of like into live in anime, suspended I animation. I didn't yeah. like that. I didn't yeah. like it. I, and I, I, I didn't like that part. But I did, I agree with you. I very much liked the whole, that was the best, that was the strongest, um, that was the strongest part of, of, the, of that, the season. And I agree with you. I think it was actually amazing messaging. I, and, and I totally agree with you. Okay. Wow. That was fun. Okay. You're next, yeah. Molly. My second one. Okay. So should I? Wait, John, Johnny, do you want to respond? Do you have any idea what we're talking about in The Mandalorian? 
the short answer is no, uh, <laughs> because I avoid series. Series become very time-consuming. So I, I like movies, and I avoid series. So I know that certain series exist, but uh, I try and stay away from them because then you get hooked, and then you feel obliged. Whereas 90 minutes or so of something or another, you start it, you finish it, and you move on. So uh, I don't. Sounds interesting um, to some people. Okay. <laughs> Next. Next. Okay. Um... <laughs> All right. I, should I go low or high? Whatever you want. All right. I don't even know I if it's so. considered low or high. I, my next book, movie slash book slash movie recommendation, I'm going to go with Ordinary People, which was a book by Judith Guest and a movie. Let me see when the movie came out. Hold on a second. This is my very. I'm asking my earpiece for my you know tech advisor to tell me when the movie came out. No, I'm really not. I'm googling it. Um, 1980. Okay. Um, this it's a wonderful book. And it's a wonderful movie. And what it's about is essentially, it's, it's about a family, a upper, upper class family um, that has two sons. And what you find out is that, that they had been in a, uh, a boating accident and one of them died in that accident. And the, sec- the main character in the movie is the second son. Um, and it's about his relationship with his parents Different, very, very different relationship with his mother, with his father. His mother cannot handle that. He, he, the movie starts that he has been, uh, he has um, attempted suicide, um, and therefore he was taken to some facility, and now he's coming back, and he's trying to be to to get back into life. And that's that's the movie is, and and then there's Judd Hirsch. I think it's Matt Dillon who plays him. He's wonderful, and uh, Donald Sutherland who plays the father, and Mary Tyler Moore plays the mother. It's beautiful, and Judd Hirsch, Judd Hirsch is the therapist. And so on one Does level... Is he a Jewish therapist? He's amazing. He always I mean, plays the it, same actor. Some heavy be, New York accent. Could, yeah, I don't know if the New York accent is very heavy, but he. It, it, but the book, which was written first, um, he, the, the therapist is already described. So like Judd Hirsch is actually a very, very good casting call for the therapist. Because the therapist is messy and like not perfect and untidy, which is kind of different than the life, the, the perfect life that the mother has created for this very affluent family. Um, but it's about... Again, it's about the experience of, for the son. And when I took psych, my first class in Intro to Psych, um, and I'm reading like different, you know, about different, um, you know, things, psychological experiences. I'm like, oh, he had PTSD, and I was like, that is so cool because he has flashbacks. And, like, and I was like, I, I did didn't understand. Did they know it was PTSD? During I, that I time? didn't know at the time when I saw the movie. I was in high school. I didn't know. I was um, just did like, they know? Was there such so, a thing at that time? Um, I mean, they never call it PTSD yeah, in the movie, yeah. but it's obvious. And, and the, again, what's amazing about the movie is the therapeutic experience that he goes through and his relationship with the therapist and what the therapist teaches him about himself and about feelings and emotions and guilt and about his parents and how his parents, again, are able to relate or not relate to him, um, how they parent in general, rigidity versus flexibility, um, willingness to see imperfection versus lack of willingness to see imperfection. Um, and again, the book is incredible and the movie is incredible. So I am recommending if anybody wants to watch a good again, movie, what are those see a good book. Ordinary People. Book Ordinary is by people. Judith Guest. Okay. Movie is, I don't know by whom, but it was put out in 1980. Thank you. Johnny, you're up. So feeling terrible as I do for lowering the bar so low, I think I'm just going to kind of now play a different card and say what am i going to do in the summer i'm going to try and get back into playing some classic piano so i'm going to be playing 
you know, Beethoven and, and uh, Mozart and Chopin, and uh, haven't done it for a while. You know, basically, when you have lessons, when, if you're a kid and you had lessons, that's when you discipline yourself to play well. If you're then good enough and you remain disciplined, then you can continue. I'm good enough that I can play a tune, but not, but but haven't invested enough time to maintain that disciplined uh, play, and so I haven't played Chopin or Beethoven meaningfully for a while. If I do, it sounds terrible. So I think what I'll do is get back to those classics. Um, but overall, not only am I mentioning that, if people play uh, instruments, they should do so, and, and if they don't, um, perhaps it's now is the time to learn, which is a wonderful thing. Nobody's ever too old to start learning some kind of instrument. You know, I, I, whenever I work, I listen to music. And it's just remarkable how many different interpretations of music that we're familiar with um, can be brought to bear. And the gift of Spotify isn't just listening to music. It's listening to the music you know played differently. Johnny, uh, can I ask I you a, a question? I have a few favorites there. Sorry, do you want to say what you are going to say? I didn't want to interrupt you. I just, no, no, no. Because no, you were going in a different direction, saying, so I wanted to I'm, just... I'm, well, the only re the reason I'm doing this is to try and kind of <laughs> counterbalance and equalize the three. There you go. So I, uh, Wait, Johnny, if you're listening, think, Johnny, okay, give well, some recommendations. Go. If you're listening to classical music, what is it that you listen to? So, so, Wait, but so my I'm question was... Oh, John, Molly had a question, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, my it. question is, What's can you question? elucidate why, for you, classical music, right, the Beethoven, Chopin, Mozart, are... Um, why you find those uplifting and valuable because I don't think that necessarily people in today's age quite understand why what, what the value again if we're going to the like the, I, I assume I know you Johnny I presume you do things because you find them spiritually or personally edifying so what is why why those that's why I stopped you before you said I have some other Spotify suggestions mm -hmm. which I'd be interested in hearing as well but um, like I'm just curious like it's obvious to you that playing Mozart or Beethoven is edifying. So I'm, I'm just curious about that as somebody who... Who's well, not all. The truth is I, I, I don't buy into... You know, some people say there are X amount of classics. I say they may well be classics, but not necessarily to me. Um, I find certain music to be deeply inspired. Chopin's referred to as being the poet of the piano. And really listening to his music is listening to most exquisite poetry. But other music, and it doesn't have to be classics, uh, and includes modern music, of which I listen to as well, you both lose yourself and find yourself in it. And when you're uh, a, a musician and you're familiar with the music, and, and this is something which is captured beautifully in the movie Shine, which I don't know if I've mentioned before, about the real life of David Helfgott. When, if you learn music to the point that you don't need the notes in front of you, you both forget it and also somehow discover it anew. Um, and so if a person has, for example, when I was young, I was able to play like a pathetic sonata or certain, uh, a, a piece by Chopin or Bach, it, y y you appreciate the, the framework being uh, played out in the music which has been written, but also somehow those notes can speak to you within. So that's uh, probably a lousy way to describe uh, some kind of uh, quasi-emotional spiritual experience. But I'll, I'll mention one interesting thing. Uh, uh, th there's a, a, a composer called Max Richter, or R-A-I-C-H-T-E-R, -E and he has his own variations on Vivaldi's Four Seasons. I find them to be remarkable. So uh, most of us have probably heard of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. You know, they're played when you're waiting online to some kind of phone company. 
he, what he does to that is very, very beautiful. And, and there, are, there are a number of other musicians who do beautiful, mu beautiful things to beautiful music and yet are also involved in the act of interpretation. And that's something which I, uh, I greatly admire. I think we're going to have to end our show notes this time, actually give links to all these things. You know, everyone's going to have to submit them for Johnny so that people, if they want to, they can find references to these things. All right, I'm going to go one. I'm going to do my second one and then we'll take a mm -hmm. break. So mine is, I guess, a much more highbrow. I live in a town called Yad Binyamin. And very few people know that Yad Binyamin was, was, was named, it was, it was first originally called Nativa, I think, but it was changed the name. It was, it was the educational, it was, a, it was just like a, uh, uh, um, uh, what's it called? The Kiryat Chinuch. It was like the school mm -hmm. of, uh, of a party that was called Poale um, Agudat Yisrael, Hagi. And that, it was headed by a man named Rabbi Binyamin Mintz. And that's why after he died, they named it Yad Binyamin, after Binyamin Mintz. And there was a, so I was, at some point in my life, <laughs> a long time ago, I became fascinated by this person, Binyamin Mintz. Binyamin Mintz was a Ger Hasid. He was born in Poland somewhere, and he grew up as a Ger Hasid, very much connected to Eretz Yisrael. He, was a, he saw himself as a, as a Talmud of the Rebbe, very much a member of Agudas Yisrael, but also very much um, uh, really distanced and couldn't understand, especially, especially after World War I, which tore apart the Jewish community to, in ways we can't understand and imagine, how they could not be more supportive of settling Eretz Yisrael and encouraging Hasidim, encouraging religious Jews to move to Eretz Yisrael. He made Aliyah, he was a journalist, he edited newspapers, he was a prolific, prolific person. And ultimately, in this party that he created, this Pole uh, Aguda Israel, he was the most important person, the founder of it and the driving force. He ultimately rose to become the Sar Hador, for which he was put in Cherem because he became the Sar Hador and then like, died a year later. Just a really fascinating personality. And uh, 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 a historian named Chaim Shalem, together with his son Shai Mintz, wrote a book called I Shalef Shar. It was, uh, I mean, it's paraphrased, an island of the possible, but it's also a play on the words I Shar. And it's a Hebrew book, very, very heavy, very, very deep. But just, it's, I mean, you, you, you cannot believe the things this man accomplished. Everywhere that I live, Yad Binyamin is one example. He, like, he founded Kibbutz Chafetz Chaim. He, he founded B'nai Re'em, B'nai Aish, Beit Chilkia. All of, like, basically, where I live is only because of this one person, this one man. He literally saved tens of thousands of Jewish children after the Shoah from assimilation, from falling to, you know, it's the, 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 thing, the, the things that this man accomplished in his life are unbelievable. The Hebrew is hard, but if you can get, you can, you can buy it actually, it's available for sale. If you're into such things, you know, spend like the years that it will take you. It's on my desk, uh, on, my, on my bedside table, and you know, I'll read it for a few months and then I'll put it aside, then I'll read it for a few months again. You'll, you'll just, you're experiencing the birth of the Jewish state through the eyes of a person who has a religious perspective. And I could argue even today, I would argue that today we, I think we'll call, I don't know if we'll call ourselves modern, we call ourselves Sionidati, we're much closer to Binyamin Mintz than we ever would have been what I would call Mafdal of 50 years ago or 75 years ago. We have a much stronger religious perspective and all I can think about, sometimes I come to shul on Shabbat evening on Friday night in Yad Binyamin, and I think to myself, oh my God, what Binyamin Mintz would have given to understand what he built 
and to see the yeshuv that he started and Eretz Yisrael that he built, he would have just, he, he, like, I get chills thinking about it. And, uh, and it's in the, in the merit of people like that that, uh, that we are here where we are today. So again, the book is called Isha Lafshar by Chaim Shalem. You can look for it on the internet. It's, it's, if you're into such things, invest the time. You'll, you'll, you'll definitely appreciate it. All right, that's my second. We'll take a short break uh, for our word from our sponsor. And we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Molly, what's your third cultural piece? Okay, so first of all, I just want to say that was it sounded really beautiful, Ruby, that book and story. So I'm really glad that you had an opportunity to share it. And I got to hear about it because I never, that's not something I naturally do is pick up big, heavy Hebrew books written in modern Hebrew and, you know, novel, novelizations. See, or, you it's, know. it's actually really yeah. interesting because most people don't really know who Biyad Binyamin is named after. There's actually a book, uh, uh, the school here is called, Johnny, remember the name of the school, the elementary school? Breuer. Right, but Breuer. it's named after the Breuer is his, was his second in command, was the, the secondary head of uh, Poale Agudat Yisrael. It wasn't like everybody thinks, oh, it's the Breuer from, you know, the Breuer from Breuers. It's not that. It's a totally different Breuer. Mm. People don't know that. Um, also, I don't know, people I'm sure are well aware of Kibbutz Shalavim. Like all these places were built by Poale Agudat Yisrael. Like, like very, very famous places were a part of what, what, what Pagi really, 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 the idea of building Eretz Yisrael, a Pitorat Yisrael. And, he, and he, was, he, he kept talking about this country would be different if we had more religious voices to fight for religious things. You know, just the, the, just the things that he gets into, the, like the Ma'abadot were created in this area. Many of the Ma'abadot, you know, the Ma'abarot, excuse me, where they brought the Olei Teiman were here. So you, there are protocols of him fighting the Knesset because the army people that took care of that were in charge, they would tell the women, you have too many children, and why are you having so many children? And they would de-louse them in front of men who totally insensitive to their religious identities. And here's Binyamin in the Knesset yelling at Ben-Gurion saying, what are you doing? So, you know, standing up for these women. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. So I would just mention, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I'm a little sorry. Uh, like, <laughs> nobody in Yad Binyamin knows what, what Yad Binyamin, who is it named for? And... Um, I live on Rehov Sar, which I hate, the, I hate the name of my street. It means rage and anger. I don't know who named it. But uh, I've always wanted to change it to Rehov Mins, that there should be a Rehov named after this person so that people would know who he was. I never, I never got around to doing it. So if you live in Yabin Yamin, you live on Rehov Sar and you're interested, maybe we can figure out how to do this. Anyway, go ahead, Molly. Okay, amazing. That was amazing. Um, Johnny, one other thing I wanted to say was when you were talking about um, 
the piano, right? And you said like, first you need the discipline. And once you have that discipline enough, then you find the freedom in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember um, in, one, in some book by Madeline Lengel, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time, but she also wrote a couple of autobiographical um, um, works. I've forgotten which word, book she talks about that, but she also played music. And she also uses that analogy. And she uses it she was also actually a Christian, very strong religious person, and she uses that to talk about the importance of discipline and, and saying we find our freedom, we can only truly find freedom if we have a disciplined environment, which is back to Ruby's Mandalorian. No, Books not Mandalorian. Why? I say it all the time to <laughs> my halacha. students. Yes. You have to do the work if you want to appreciate it. You'll never learn how to learn unless you find the discipline. And that's, this exactly. is the, the, and that's this is the, this is the, the problem of our time. That we're not forcing, forcing, you know, disciplining our children, forcing them to do the hard work so that they can get to the point where they see the love. And they never right. see the love. And have the freedom and individuality to express themselves through the system, which is, I right. think, what Johnny was saying. It's not right. just, it's, it's everybody's unique voice is able to be found once they, once they have that discipline. Okay, my third book slash movie is A Room with a View, okay, which was written by E.M. For- Forster. I don't know when he wrote the book. Um, in general, he's an amazing, amazing writer. I can look it up. The guy, I, I googled the movie. The movie was made in 1985. Um, Ian Forster, he writes a lot of books about England and its relationship to other countries. And they each represent, England always represents like a certain stability, but with a rigidity. Um, and then like he has um, a passage to India, which talks about the Indian culture versus the English culture, and it's really actually a critique of colonialism. But A Room with a View is about England versus Italy. And Italy represents passion and romance. And uh, Howard's death, I think, is England and Germany, which is interesting as well. But, but, but A Room with a View is, again, it's, it's interesting because we're talking about discipline versus passion. That's what A Room with a View is about, right? The, it's about um, what's more important in life, um, rigidity or passion. And This particular book um, argues for the importance of passion and love and art as opposed to um, formality, formality that is empty of meaning, right? Like officious, pompous ceremonialism. He's not he's not against um, like the monarchy, you know. What he would not be against the monarchy, I do not believe. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, you're not going to beat me on that one. But he 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 is against. He said officious. Symbolic pompousness, pompism. Yeah. You just defined I know. They are not officious and pompous. They are certainly symbolically, well, whatever. <laughs> Pomp and circumstance, yes. Pomposity, no. Okay. Anyway. Um, but the, my point is that both the book and the movie are incredible. And it's another great example of different mediums that, are, that, that both use their mediums in ways that, that the other medium can't. So, so the mo- so in the movie, you know, well, what's his name? Daniel Day-Lewis. Do you remember him as an actor? He's an amazing actor. She's, and also, actually, what's her name is amazing actor. Of the greats. Helena Bonham Carter, who a lot of people know. Helena she Bonham she was in Harry Potter. She's a, a crazy person, but she also, she's an, she happens to be an amazing, amazing actress. Um, so, oh, Maggie Smith is in it, too. It's, it's a great, great movie. But what I was going to say was the character that, that um, Daniel Day-Lewis plays is the, he likes, he's the embodiment of the like, like pompous, soulless, condescending. Also, there's a sort of class snobbery in there, 
and there's a scene in the movie where they're playing tennis and again tennis symbolizes freedom and you know it's a sport and they're letting go and they're letting loose and they're laughing and he's sitting there so rigid and they're like tennis balls like bouncing off his head i don't know if it exactly bounced off his head obviously this there's no that's not an actual reconstruction of the scene in the book but it's a perfect visual representation of the message of the book so i think it's like such a beautiful thing to be able to read the book and understand again because i think books are able to go deep deeper than movies so it's important to read the book because you get the message and again the the the, the main one of the main messages of the book the, the, the character the male protagonist there's obviously a romance in it the male protagonist is questioning is there a purpose to life is there a meaning to, for living and then obviously at the end of the book the answer is essentially yes and the answer is essentially love um so the book goes a lot deeper than the movie but the movie is again just like in emma will take a few central themes of the book and create a visual medium that is so beautifully done and so entertaining that it's it, it enriches your experience of the book because it helps you understand what's going on in the book and it 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 it's really, really enjoyable. So that's my last recommendation. I, I love you're, you're doing the all these like connection and emotive things. You're like the feminine aspect, and I, and and Johnny's giving the what is it called the Equalizer, and I say the Mandalorian. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was published in 1908, by the way. Wow, oh Johnny, yeah, number three. So number three is I, I use the summer to kind of process the past year and plan for the upcoming year which includes not only reading quite a few books, and I've got a whole bunch on, on my kind of table, which I won't list them all, but also uh, planning courses, which may well be revisions of past courses. And that gives me opportunity. I try and make the time to spend a few days or a few weeks in a library, kind of just immersing myself in, in topics which perhaps I'm familiar with, but with the lack of kind of day-to-day -day interruption that often happens within semester, I'm able to explore ideas further. So uh, this past semester, I've teach, uh, taught a course on Jewish history. It's now being expanded to a year-long course in Midrash at Lindenbaum. And I'm looking forward to planning it. I already obviously have very clear ideas about what I want to be talking about and, and how I want to be talking about that. But the ability to immerse oneself in, in Jewish history with a responsibility to communicate that in a way which lifts and engages learners is something uh, crucially important, especially given the fact that most of our students really aren't that familiar with Jewish history. Thus, I taught a, a, a course this year, and we want to expand it further. So I'm going to be doing that. Please, God, also in terms of Matan, uh, though it's yet to be confirmed, I hope to be teaching a year-long course on, of Osher Weiss's Klalea Mitzvot. Mm -hmm. And so just thinking pedagogically about how to do this. Uh, so... Uh, I, those, I have two things to say. Courses. First of all, the Usher Weiss Kalele Mitzvah, that's exactly what I was expecting from Johnny the whole time. And in Jewish history, Johnny, is there a particular book that you go to, you know, this really gives me a, like, I connect to this book, this gives me a sense. I don't, I, I don't want to put you, I, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. But you seem to, like, have works that you were like, oh, you should really read this, you know, piece of Jewish history. Has anything come to mind? Well, a, a few things. I, I'm not, Precisely because I'm not, ex you know, primarily a historian. Uh, obviously, I wish to know um, a little bit more. In I, I wish to read around a little bit more before I I plan a slightly more serious course. But there there are certain books which I've been going to over the years and which I particularly like, especially those which 
kind of provide windows into Jewish communities uh, through halachic or um, uh, literature, you know, things like Israel Abraham's Jewish Life in the Middle Ages, a classic, uh, really gives us uh, a window into how our practices are able to reflect the tensions and the needs of every time and using rabbinic literature, response to literature, uh, as ways of... Um, telling Jewish history, something which Chaim Soloveitchik famously did and others have done as well. Um, so, so those kind of things interest me, but there are many other works which certainly I'll, I'll explore, obviously, each for each respective period of time. But the reason why I mention these courses and a few others which are on my mind is because last year I, I was very, very clear about going back to basics. I was frustrated about the limited uh, knowledge of Machshava in the wider Jewish uh, uh, modern Orthodox world. So I taught a course, a year-long course in Yusadeh Torah. I just recently shared my notes. I've been teaching a course on Midrash. I've been trying to work very much on more elementary books, which I think are often misunderstood. So I'm kind of thinking about what am I trying to do in the coming year beyond the, the curricula which I'm asked specifically to teach, and why. And, and, and I think when a person teaches, there is a why, not just a what. Last year was reintroducing people to things they should know but don't. This coming year, I think that's partially the case with Jewish history, but certainly with Rav Asher Weiss, it's about recognizing the important building blocks of halachic and Talmudic and halachic discourse, which are often uh, only achieved through years of study. Here I'm teaching uh, uh, women, and absent of those, it can limit further conversations to be had. So it's kind of, a, I, I'm, I'm interested and excited by that course. Uh, beyond that, I just need to make some time to finish my book on Shechiano. I know it's ridiculous, I've not finished it yet. <laughs> we've been talking so about that book for Hashem, years, since, since COVID we've been talking I about know, that I know, I know. Well, it's been COVID and my wife was sick. I've given myself some excuses, but now, now I really need to push forward and finish things off. So those are the plans for the summer. Okay, I'll give you my third, and maybe we'll do a bonus round, maybe not. Okay, uh, my third is actually three pieces of culture that's actually one. So uh, a, a, a colleague of mine mentioned to me a book in Hebrew called Mitzarfei HaMikrim, uh, which is a novel in Hebrew by a man named Yoav, Yoav Bloom. I don't know what it is, because we I'll tell you why we're talking about it. It's called in English, The Coincidence Makers. It was translated. So I actually bought, decided to buy it in English, because I find it, I can read Hebrew books if I have to, but it's just for pleasure. I'd much rather, much, much rather read in English. So The Coincidence Makers, is a is a book described by Amazon as as you know do the things that happen by coincidence are they just coincidence or is somebody sort of guiding you somebody sort of leading you is there a, like a guiding hand in the even incidental things that that happen in our lives so that that when we were talking about that that made me think immediately and I mentioned to him a movie called The Adjustment Bureau have you anybody have you guys ever seen The Adjustment Bureau I don't know. You can look it up, Molly, as we're speaking. It was, it was with this came out a couple of years Matt Damon ago, right? and some woman I never heard of. It's unbelievable. I literally shed tears when oh, I watched it. Oh, it's it. a beautiful, beautiful book, uh, a movie. The adjustment. I'm sure it was a book, but I didn't read it. It's all about how there's a plan. Right? You believe it, right? It's like MS, right? There's a plan and how, but the plan is guiding most people and they're in their lives. And there are these people, there are these angels, there are these, you know, there's a bureau whose job it is to make sure everybody stays on the plan. And the question is, can you deviate from the plan if you want to badly enough? And I really, really, really connected 
to this movie. Molly, if you haven't seen it, you should I'm see Googling it. I'm it. curious I'm what your, see it. I'm really curious Looks what good. your response to that is. It's very, mm-hmm. very I watched it on a plane and I went I want to write about it and I didn't, but it was genuinely a, a remarkable not just it wasn't just a gripping movie because it's a good movie. It was a theologically profound movie but i just want to follow up on what you're saying you know i've been doing these spiritual coaching work johnny you should right? do movie to... reviews you should you should do a cultural i want to do movie reviews yeah. that's yeah. what i maybe, want to do that's my but, goal but in life. The, the topic that i'm right now immersed in for an upcoming series uh, of spiritual coaching workshops is hashkacha pratit and mm. uh, and divine providence for those who are less familiar and what's fascinating is this is a term, and this is really what I do in these coaching sessions. This is a term that a lot of people use. They think they understand. Almost no person who uses that term has necessarily formally studied it. There are a handful of books on the topic of which most are unsophisticated. And there are one or two which are remarkable. And if you find those remarkable books, there's one by Chaim Gross, um, you will learn a whole gamut of ideas which I don't think are taught anywhere it's it's a very difficult concept to wrap your head around a very very difficult concept. correct but that's what this movie is about so it's interesting that's what your book that you're discussing yeah, the, mo- is the about. movie interestingly i think it's more about which about is, well and that is the you know, like, you know what, what we I... could do we could watch this movie and then review it together oh let's um, do that that'll be so fun yeah why don't we could think about that okay well i'll watch it again i certainly no, would but watch better it still you know what we should do we don't need to review it we should actually just put the computer in a room we should sit come together <laughs> oh do a watch do a watch do a watch episode we have to you know watch party, watch party. Yeah. all right anyway definitely one way or the other I, and that leads me to the third thing my third thing which is sort of similar there's this new series that came out called jury duty this series jury duty is a it's an unbelievable concept it's sort of a reality show where they have this group of people who are called into a trial and they're, they're, they know they're being filmed for a documentary and a trial. But it turns out, like they say at the very beginning, all of them are actors except for one person. This one guy doesn't, he thinks everybody else is also called in for jury duty and signed it's up like for this Truman thing. It's like Truman Show. What? It's a TV show. It's like Truman no, I'm Show. Saying it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like the Truman Show. It's so far, I think it's quite funny because all of the actors... They're improvisational comedians, so they're just kind of making it up as they go along. So it's it's fun to watch. But even more than that, like it, it makes you on a on a on a Mali Torah and Mada level, it makes you like think about like am I the I'm I'm the only person in my reality show, and everyone else has has a role in my reality show, and how do I react to them, and how do I interact with cool. them when they do crazy things, you know? And one of the things they say about this is that this guy. Who's, who's the, they lucked out, it turns out. He's just a kind, genuinely wonderful person. And so it, it's, it's fun and funny so far. I haven't seen, I've seen a couple of episodes. We're going to go through. It got very, very strong reviews. So if you could find it on the interwebs, and you're li- if you're living in America, you can find it easily. If you're, if you're not, it might be a little more challenging, but so far it's, it's been a lot, a lot of fun. So those are all three interconnected. That is Duty. That's Toramada. Never done Dewey Duty. Did I ever what? Toramada. Do Dewey Duty. I never did it. I I was never called. Actually, it was always like, and I never wherever I lived, I moved from place to place. Were you ever called? No. I left too early. I was called. I was called. In England, they have juries. Judges with the wigs. I thought they have. I didn't. Not every case. A lot of cases are really. We learned something as well. Now, interestingly, though, I actually never. I, I, that's why I thought that's how we gained for our independence because we wanted to be tried by a jury of our peers. 
thought that was one uh, of the staples no, of American. Uh, I was always concerned I, about I that never, territory though, of our peers, but that's another topic entirely. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I never actually did. I never sat in a court as a member of the jury because you basically waiting this kind of long, big waiting room of like a hundred people and wait to be called. And in the end, a case went on a while, and they and they only give you a couple of days when you can wait around. So I was there for like two days. They said like go home, mm -hmm. fine. But it, it's you know the idea of of being in a jury is a fascinating thing. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't uh, even considered that. Anyway, no, those no. are okay. Each of us gave our three topics. That's our summer recommendations. I don't think I think we won't do our bonus round. I think we'll wrap it up here. Does anybody want to add something before we stop? Well, you made me think uh, of our old time let's out. So I'm like, I, I, you, in the beginning when you were taught, I don't know, well, when I was talking about something, it made me think of Encanto. And maybe because you said Disney Plus, that's another bonus round movie that I think everybody should watch. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it, it's, like, it's also about uh, learning that, that um, we can't be perfect and that it's actually perfect to be imperfect. Um, so it's a beautiful movie, and it's a good song. Very My Hamlet that is, yes, if we don't talk about Bruno. Israel this summer. Um, try and go to somewhere you haven't been before. Uh, I often find that people come to Israel and they go to the same places. You know, try and discover places you haven't discovered before. If you're not sure, ask people who live here. Um, uh, you know, so go to the Beersheba Market, right? Uh, go to. Uh, you know, around my neighborhood, there's some, I suppose, interesting things. Try, try and discover new things. And if you're not quite sure what to do, ask regular people. If you're really not sure what to do, there's professional people who can put together schedules. But Israel's a fascinating country. And if you're going to come here and travel, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 6,000 miles, at least try and see things different to the ones you've seen before. And if you're going to come here and you're going to be here during July, come to the Herzog College, you may Yun Batanach, July 16th oh, to July 19th. Diary, yes. It's an experience, like... I don't know how, what happened, but like I, I'm not blessed to be to work there. But just the idea of hundreds of people yeah. milling around, hearing shiurim by the top people. More in than the world. hundreds. It's got to be more than hundreds. No, they don't. They they've cut it down. It's not thousands anymore. They can't handle Why? the thousands. And they really? just they don't have like 20 shiurim at a time. Now it's like six or seven at a time, right? So it's hundreds of people at a time. Oh, and if you're an educator, on Wednesday we are having the first ever Jewish Educators Day to talk about issues relating to Ooh, teachers in English. Before, in yeah. English. And we're very awesome. excited about it. So all educators, please make sure to join us on July 19th, on Wednesday, July 19th, as part of the Yun Herzog's famous Yun Betanach, which you won't want to miss. All right, I think we'll stop here. I threw that in. That was good. Um, I want to thank Molly and Johnny for your recommendations. Maybe we should watch the, the Adjustment Bureau and then discuss it in a, in a future episode. I don't I think, think the watch party is going to happen, so we'll add that to our no, list. No, but discussion. Yeah. Breakdown. Very interesting. The, okay. what's, what's it called? The, the Adjustment what? Bureau. The Adjustment Bureau Breakdown by RZ. Okay. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to thank uh, both of you. Thank my son for our music. If you're still listening to us, you obviously are an RZ fan. If you haven't yet, leave us a five-star recommendation on Apple uh, uh, Podcasts because it helps other people find our, find our podcast, which is always great. I want to thank my son, I think, for our music I did already. And uh, have a great week, everybody. Bye now.